0: Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 17 this morning. Again, that's Luke chapter 7. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. Last week, uh, Jason kind of finished up the, the Sermon on the Mount, or it's the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, where Jesus is kind of giving his teaching about who he is and about what he came to do and kind of the the new realities of the kingdom of God that he has brought down to earth Uh with his arrival. And now we're kind of getting into where he's going to demonstrate that he really is this king who has control and who has authority over all things by what he does. So we're going to read verses 1 through 7. After he had finished all of his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick, and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him to the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with him. But when he was not far away from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we, we have the privilege to, to come before your throne as sons and daughters. We can address you as Our Father, because you sent your one and only Son to die in our place. God, we thank you that you've given us your Word. You've given us the Gospels. You've given us the Gospel of Luke where we can can learn about and and see the the kinds of things, the ministry that your Son had when he was on this earth. We can see in him uh, the demonstration that your kingdom has come in Jesus. And that we get to live in that reality because he has come, because he has established it, because he lived the life that you called him to live, perfectly obedient to you as his father. Father, we pray today that as we look at at these verses together, that you would send your spirit to to enable and equip us to understand your word together this morning. That we would would benefit uh, from what you have to tell us in it. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in this passage this morning, there's these kind of two little chunks, these two little stories. And the first one tells us that when he got done with the sermon, when he got done talking and teaching them all those things, he went to Capernaum. And as he goes into Capernaum, uh, there's this group of people that come out to him. And Luke kind of fills in some of the background details for us. He tells us that there's this centurion that, that had a sick servant. A centurion is a Roman soldier that's in command of a hundred other Roman soldiers. And at this time, there weren't actually Roman soldiers kind of stationed in this area. And so this guy probably worked for one of the leaders, maybe, maybe Herod himself. But he has this servant who is sick. He has power and authority in the area. And so he, he goes to the Jewish religious leaders, the, the elders, and he sends them to Jesus. He says, you know, go. He's, he's heard about Jesus. He wants Jesus to come and do something for his servant. And so these Jewish elders, they, they go out to Jesus and they say, Jesus, he is worthy to have you do this for him. So, so these Jewish leaders believe the, ser- or the, the centurion is worthy for Jesus to heal his servant. They give two reasons why they think he's worthy. The first one is that he loves our nation. Israel's not a nation at this time. It means he, he loves the people. He loves the people of Israel. And they say he built the synagogue. And that's kind of weird, right? Why would a why would a Roman soldier build a synagogue? Why would he pay to build a synagogue? And and honestly, we don't know the answer. We don't know the reason for that. But we do know that not in Capernaum, but in another area, there's an inscription that archaeologists have found that say that a, a Roman soldier like paid to fund a synagogue. And so there is evidence that they did this for whatever reason. And so this centurion is one of those kinds of guys. And because that's who he is, these Jewish elders say to Jesus, this guy is worthy, come heal his servant. Luke tells us that Jesus goes with them. And as he's going with them, he gets closer to where the house is. And Luke tells us that the centurion sends more people out to talk to Jesus. This time he sends his friends. So first he sends the Jewish elders. Uh, They say, you know, he's worthy, come do it. Now his friends come out and his friends say, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. So the Jewish leaders think he's worthy. The centurion recognizes for himself that he's not worthy. He says he's not worthy to have him come under his roof. The reason why he says this is because the centurion, as a Roman, is a Gentile. And so if Jesus were to go into his house, he would become ceremonially unclean. And he's saying, I don't, I don't deserve that. You shouldn't treat me that way. Don't do that for me. I'm not worthy. And so they say he's worthy. He himself says he's not worthy. And then he begins to talk about authority. He says, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. So this guy, as a soldier, he understands authority. He understands chain of command. He tells somebody to do something, they do it. If if one of his commanders tells him to do something, he does it. And he, in Faith, right? He's heard about Jesus, but he also understands who he is. He recognizes that Jesus has authority, and so he says to Jesus, If you just say the word, then my servant will be healed. So he believes that Jesus has authority over the sickness that his servant is facing. He says, You don't even need to come to my house. You don't even need to see this servant. You only have to give the word. Look at how Jesus responds to this in verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. So he marvels at the centurion, even though the centurion's not there because of the message he sent through his friends. He marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Which, right, Luke is a Gentile, right, riding to another Gentile, and so it's, it's probable that he's sharing this story with some kind of, some kind of pro-Gentile pride, right? Like, see, we're, we're better than them, is, this guy has more faith than Jesus found in Israel. He's, he's celebrating the faith of this Gentile. He um, says he hasn't found faith like this anywhere else. And then we get the conclusion. And when I, those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. The most important, for us, the most important thing for us to see here is, is this progression through the story, right? The Jews say he's worthy. He says he's not worthy. Jesus says worth doesn't have anything to do with it. Right, The centurion isn't worthy, but his worthiness and unworthiness doesn't matter. What matters is his faith. Because he believed that Jesus could heal his servant, Jesus took action and healed him. He did it on the basis of his faith. That, that's what matters in this situation. That's what matters when it comes to healing. And so it's, it's not, you know, some, some Christians, um, and again I would probably say Christians, will tell you that, you know, whether or not God heals us is based on how much faith we have. And if we just have enough faith, if we just, you know, muster up enough faith, then God will heal us. And, and, you know, even some going to the extreme of saying you won't ever be sick again if you just believe enough. But the reality is, is that it's not about the amount of faith that we have. What matters is the object of our faith. It's not how much faith we can come up with, but it's whether or not our faith is in Jesus. And when our faith is in Jesus, the trust that we have in him to heal means that our faith isn't going to change whether he heals or not because we're believing that he is who he says he is regardless of whether he takes action to heal. So this servant, or this this centurion, he believes that Jesus can do this and Jesus does heal his servant. Um, So it's not about worth. It's about faith. And in the, the second story, we see kind of a different angle on the relationship of faith and healing. Luke tells us, soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain. As he, he goes into the town, he sees this funeral procession coming out. There's, there's a guy who is on a, a bier, not a B-E-R, but a B-I-E-R. Uh, and uh, this, the, a, a bier is, is it's kind of like a, like a sheet of plywood. Right? It's just a board that a body is on. There's no casket. There's just these guys carrying a body. If you, I don't know how many of you are friends of Dinesh on Facebook, but he, his father recently passed away, and he shared pictures on Facebook, and his father was on a beer like, like they did in uh, this, this world. And so uh, Jesus walks up to him, and he reaches out, and he touches it, and that kind of signals the guy to stop. And then he speaks. But before he does that, he finds out who the man is. Luke tells us that a man who died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And the reason why this matters is because she's lost her husband, and now she's lost her only son, which in, in this culture means that she's not just you know, kind of emotionally distraught and emotionally destroyed by what's going on, but she's also financially destitute now. Like, her, her means of support is gone. And so uh, he's, he's telling us that this is a very bad situation. This is a very dire situation. And and that is kind of part of what prompts this compassion that comes out of Jesus. Compassion is, is love that leads to action based on something in someone else, right? Um, we've talked about before the difference between mercy and grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's God... Uh, Giving us something that we don't deserve. Mercy is is love that's based on something in us. It's it's based on our our um, our helplessness. Mercy is when. God sees, sees us and takes pity on us and acts on our behalf, uh, not because we deserve it, but because we can't do anything to get ourselves out of the situation. Jesus, in this situation, his compassion is based on that kind of mercy. He sees this widow who has lost her only son, and he takes action. He has compassion. He says to her, do not weep. And then he does something to kind of remove her cause of weeping. He walks up, he touches the beer, the bear stood still. He says, young man, I say to you, Arise. This word here, arise, is the same word that's going to be used later in the New Testament to talk about Jesus' resurrection. Like, he's, he's telling him to come back from the dead, right? He's not, you know, he's not asleep. He's not just, you know, lying down on the ground. He's telling him to come back to life. And Luke tells us, the dead man sat up and began to speak, which, like, Luke's a doctor, Remember? Like, uh, imagine what, like, what is going through his mind as he's writing this down. Because, you know, he, he would understand far more than we do of the biological processes that have taken place already as this guy died and then him coming back to life. Like, it is, it is insane. Like, that, that is a, a very simple sentence to express a very unbelievable reality. Proper response comes in verse 16. Fear seized them all. Fear here, it's it's not it's not terror. It's more awe. It's it's them kind of being being shocked at what has taken place. Um, it says they glorified God, saying a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. They say these two things. The first thing, a great prophet has risen among us. They're probably saying, Jesus is like Elijah, right? In, in the Old Testament, Elijah was in a situation like this, where God raised a widow's son from the dead. And so they're saying Jesus is a prophet like him, but he's not just a prophet, he's a great prophet. Back in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 18, 15, God said that another prophet would come like Moses. And the Israelites were waiting for this prophet again and again. It even says, if you go back and you read Deuteronomy, it says that after Moses died, another prophet like him hasn't come. They're, They're waiting for that to happen. Jesus is that prophet. He's this great prophet that's come, and he's doing the kinds of things that the prophets did of old, and he's speaking the kinds of things that the prophets did of old, but he's greater than them because he's not just the mouthpiece of God. He's God himself come down, which is what they say next, right? They say God has visited his people it's probable that, that they're, they're speaking better than they know here. Mm-hmm. Right? There's, there's some, some subtle irony here. Like they, they think that God has just done something through Jesus. They don't realize yet that God himself has come down. He really has literally visited his people in the person of Jesus. This report about him spreads throughout the whole of the region and the surrounding country. The good news that God has come down, that God has visited his people, that he's brought his kingdom, these kinds of things, him healing the servant, him bringing this guy back from the dead, they are evidence that the kingdom of God has come down, that the Messiah has come. He is doing the kinds of things that the Old Testament said God's Messiah would do. And the good news of that is going out and it's spreading around in the region. One thing that we should see here. Uh, in this passage, as we kind of compare it to the first little chunk, is that in the second one, there's no mention of faith. Right? This guy doesn't have faith. He's dead. Doesn't, Luke doesn't say anything about his mom's faith, doesn't say anything about faith in the crowd, but instead, Jesus sees her and he has compassion on her. So it's not, it's not faith that causes healing to happen. Healing happens because God desires to Heal. Jesus heals in the first situation because it pleased him to do it. He did it on the basis of the centurion's faith. But in the second story, Jesus heals because it pleased him to do it on the basis of the compassion he had on this mom. And so that, that should cause us to never think that if God doesn't heal in a situation where we ask him to heal, that somehow our faith is deficient. It's because for whatever reason, he has decided not to. And... That's tough. Right? That's hard. Um, that, that can cause us some questions and some doubts. Um, that, like, I'm, I'm not going to give you an answer right now. It's going to take all of that away. Um, but I will say that for Christians, right, when when God doesn't heal in a specific situation, and like I'm not I'm not hypothetical, right? My my mom died of liver disease. God didn't heal her. I asked Him to. Other people asked Him to. Um, and I, I want to know why. But the reality is, theologically, and actually, if she doesn't have liver disease anymore. Because she was a believer, because she trusted in Christ and in Christ alone for salvation, she is made new. And all of that that was wrong with her body is gone. And so we ask God to heal, uh, wanting him, to heal her so that she could still be with us, but he healed her in a different way, in a a better way. And so if we are in Christ, if we've trusted in him, then then our hope is in that, is in that reality that even if he doesn't heal now, he will ultimately heal once and for all. Anything and everything that is wrong with us and broken with us. Now, if we're praying for somebody that's not a believer, they, they don't have that hope. Um, and when he doesn't heal them, we've got to wrestle with all of that. But I think instead of you know, thinking and, and dwelling on, on why God didn't heal a loved one that died apart from him, uh, that should motivate us now to take the action that we can take now to share the good news of the God who heals with those who are still here. Right, to, to share with them who Jesus is and what he's done, that he has come so that no one will ever die again. Like that, that is the hope that we have, and it, it can't change the past. But can it affect someone's life today? And so and what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that it should motivate us to share the gospel with those that we have that, that don't know him, um, instead of just fixating on, you know, why didn't he do this thing? Why didn't he do this thing in the past? Um, what God's word tells us is that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So what that means is that even though we we don't understand how something might not be or how something might be good and how it's for his glory, his word tells us that it is. And if our faith is really in him, then we're trusting that he is who he says he is and he, he's, he's done what he said he's done. That is his word is true that he is our Savior, and our Redeemer, and that doesn't change based on our circumstances. And that doesn't, that doesn't make it easier. That doesn't make grief and sadness and pain and sorrow go away. At least now. But one day, it will make it go away. So as we read these stories in the Gospels of, of Jesus healing Sometimes because of faith, sometimes not because of faith. Um, it should cause us not to, to focus on all the things that you know, we don't understand, but instead to do what these people do in the story. And let's marvel at him, to have awe at who God is, that what he can do, cause us to glorify him and praise him and share the good news with those around us of this God who came down to save and redeem his people. You know, sometimes I think that we, because of how the gospels are written, we have this, this picture in our mind of, of Jesus, you know, as he's walking around the earth, just kind of like healing everybody. And there are certainly stories where that happens, where there's a village and all the people in the village who are sick are brought to him and he just heals everyone. But the reality is that he didn't heal everyone when he was here. In Acts, there's a guy who Peter and John encounter, who said that he's been at the temple every day since the day he was born. He was alive when Jesus was on the earth. Jesus would have passed him on his way into the temple, and Jesus didn't heal that guy. Later, he healed them through Peter and John. But there were people that were alive when Jesus was alive that, that were sick, that, that couldn't see, that, you know, that died, and they didn't get healed. It's not because Jesus isn't the Messiah. It's not because he's not the king. It's not because he doesn't have authority. But it's because uh, for whatever reason, his plan had something else in mind. So I think that the response from us toward those things should not be to doubt. Now I'm not saying we can't ask questions. We should ask questions. But it should push us to faith in him as the one who knows recognizing how little we know and understand of him. Um, there's this poem by C.S. Lewis um, that anytime there's kind of a, 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 uh, a raising from the dead story in scripture, I think about it. And, and the poem title is From Stephen to Lazarus. Uh, you know, Lazarus in John is, is risen from the dead by Jesus. Um, and, and Stephen in the book of Acts is, is killed with rocks by the Jews. But this poem from C.S. Lewis is, is basically an apology from Stephen to Lazarus. And he's saying that like Stephen got the better end of the deal because he got martyred to resurrected life where everything's fixed and Lazarus got brought back here. <laughs> and like, the, the thing I, I love about it is it just, it shows me how messed up my view of reality is. Is that I think it would be better for my mom to be here than with Jesus, which is wrong. I mean, I'm pretty great, but he's the best. And so, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, um, as you're potentially thinking about specific situations that that this kind of text pulls on, I would encourage you to remember that reality, that that Jesus dying in our place, uh, Him rising from the dead, Him making all things new, changes reality, and that the way we look at most situations is backwards and broken. But He has come to bring the truth. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you came into this world, that you visited your people. That you brought your kingdom and that many who were lame walked and many who were blind could see and many who died were brought back from the dead. And I thank you that what we see in the Gospels is just the beginning. But that you are making all things new. You are fixing everything that is broken in this world. I thank you that your word tells us that you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And not not just that, but that you will remove any cause for weeping there might be. Father, I thank you that you sent your Son. And that you accepted his payment in our place. We pray that you would Send your spirit to to meet with us as we respond to your word, as we continue in worship, as we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper together this morning. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.